Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. It's good to see you. Say neighbor. neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Say neighbor. neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Prepare for the test. Because neighbor, you're going to be tested. And so it's either you are coming from a storm or you're going into the storm. I want to thank the pastor of this church, uh, the angel of this church, the angel of this assembly, Pastor Harris himself. And I want to thank uh, the fragrance of the wall, Sister Harris, Nicole Harris. That God has been doing such a, a marvelous work with them. They are really here for only one reason, to advance the kingdom of God. And I want to thank you for being in the church of God this morning. I know it's cold. I know you could have been anywhere else, but he chose to be here. I want to thank Brother Cruz for the music, and I say that your Spanish version was probably the best. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. My friend, Brother Morris, thank you for the offertory. And so I forgot that I was the elder in duty, but Brother Morris didn't forget because I told him that I wanted him to be here to do, to do offering. You see, God has a sense of humor. Today, I want us to quickly get into the subject, Genesis chapter 22. Uh, before, go there and put your finger right there. Uh, we're going to tread softly and see what God uh, has to say uh, on that scripture. Today, we're going to be talking much on Abraham. Uh, it's all about Abraham today, and I tell you uh, that God will uh, enlighten you to some things that probably you read those verses in a haste and you did not notice. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, have thy own way, Lord. You are the potter, I am the clay. And so here we come just for one reason. May you do what you have done in the past, in the past time, and allow a word to go forth. A word that will encourage us, that will convict us that will transform us and change us into the likeness of Jesus. And this morning, Father, I pray that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be accepted to you, you whom I, who is my redeemer and my rock and my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's one thing I hate to do is to take tests. And I know that there are lots of students 
and who feel the same way right here. And uh, in fact, undergoing uh, a test can be uh, one of uh, the most intimidating and frightening things that we have ever experienced as human beings. And so frightening, in fact, that Jesus suggests that when we pray uh, our, uh, our prayer before God, uh, that we should say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, from evil. And so you say, what in the world does that have to do with taking tests? Well, nothing will be a greater waste of words uh, than to get on your knees before a holy God uh, and say to God, please don't tempt me into sin. And so, in fact, that will be a blasphemous to suggest that God uh, could even be remotely uh, involved in enticing you or me uh, into some sinful activity. When Jesus says that we should pray, lead us not into temptation, uh, he doesn't mean that temptation uh, in the sense of enticement to sin. When Jesus says that we should pray, lead us into temptation, he is not suggesting that God himself will entice us to sin. But really, the language in, in, the, in the New Testament, Jesus is saying that we should get on our knees before God and say, God, please don't lead us into the place of testing. Don't make us vulnerable. Don't expose us where we are put to the test like Jesus was put to the test in the wilderness. Well, apart from the temptation and the test that Jesus endured in the wilderness, and the test that was put before Adam in the Garden of Eden, I think the most rigorous test that, we, uh, that was ever produced and ever endured in all of human history was a test where uh, it wasn't some college doctorate professor uh, administering the test, but the person the person who, who, who put the test was God himself. And the man who was put to test was uh, the one that the Bible identifies as the father of the faithful, and that is Abraham. Now, the record of this monumental test the test of all tests uh, is found in this 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. And, and I invite you, let's, let's look at it briefly together. Uh, and it begins with these words. Now uh, it came about that after these things that God, what did he do? 
Oh, please speak to me. Tested Abraham. We're going to have to preach together, so please stay on the word. And again, before I go on, think of those words. After these things, God tested Abraham. How would you feel uh, if you got an instruction or maybe uh, you got a summon uh, in your mailbox that uh, you are to be at such, such a place and such, such a time to be tested by God. That's what happened to Abram. God tested Abram and God said to him, Abram, and he said, here I am. And God said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Uh, that's, uh, that's something that uh, is scary to me. We remember the story of Abram that God had called him out of where? The remote district of Mesopotamia. At this point, Abram was a pagan and ignorant to the promises of God's redemptive power for and salvation. And God had given him a promise that he was going to make Abraham a blessing for the whole world. And that he would make him the father of a great nation. And you remember that God took Abraham outside and, and, and pointed to the stars of the sky. And he said, Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as those stars in the heavens. And I will make you the father of a great nation. And Abraham said, how can that be? I am childless. The servant who lives in my house is my heir, Eliezer of Damascus. My wife is too old to have children. And you remember how God had spoken to Abraham and said, no, 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 no. Abraham, your descendants will be from your own flesh. One from your own body will be your heir, not your servant, not Eliezer of Damascus, but you are going to have what? A son. And as the story unfolds, we know that God promised Abraham uh, that, uh, that and, 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 and his wife, Sarah, would have a child. And that child, that child will be the child of what? Of promise. And through the further descendants of that child uh, would come the redemption of the whole world so that all of uh, redemption history uh, is invested in this promised child. I'm talking about Abraham and Isaac. And so when Abraham heard that, uh, I mean, he just couldn't believe it. 
He said, this is fantastic. Okay? Uh, the, the thing that I've uh, always wanted my, my whole life, more than anything else, is actually going to happen. I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to have the heir to my legacy. He couldn't wait to go and tell Sarah that, Sarah, uh, you will never believe it. Sarah, I had a talk with God, and we are going to have a baby. And so, friends, Sarah says, you are right. You are right, Abraham. I'll never believe it. What have you been drinking? Are you out of your mind? I am old. And so Abraham said, so you, Sarah, Sarah, I spoke to, I had a talk with God. You wait and see. And she waited. And she waited. And she didn't see. She didn't see. She waited for days, and she waited for weeks, and she waited for months, and she waited for years. And no baby. No baby. And Abraham's panic was growing in intensity in direct proportion to the embarrassment that he must have been sensing in clinging to a promise that was not taking place until finally he decided to help God keep his promise. So between Abraham and Sarah and all those that were involved in there, they said, well, we believe that God is going to keep his promise. But what we don't believe is Sarah is part of this promise. And so... Sarah suggested that she uh, will take her handmaid and, and give uh, her uh, to Abraham. And so Haggai, 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 uh, she came together with, with Abraham, and what happened? They had a baby, and the baby is called who? Ishmael. And he became the father of the Arab nations. Now, Abraham had the son, right? So you think he was asking for an heir, and now finally the heir is right here. Story closed. He got what he wanted, right? But God spoke and said, Abraham, this is not the son of promise. The child I spoke to you about years ago will be conceived in the womb of your wife Sarah as she will bring forth the child and so Abraham goes back to his wife again and say hey 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 Sarah what I told you years ago we are going to have a son God wasn't kidding Sarah you are going to be a mother of the son this time what did do you think Sarah, what do you, th what do you think she did, she did? What did Sarah do? She started hollering and she laughed. 
And the word for laughter in Hebrew is what? Is Isaac. Is Isaac. And so when Sarah in her, in her barrenness, in, in her uh, frailty, uh, in her old age, Sarah conceived. She conceived. What a miracle. What a miracle God we save. And when she discovered that she was with child, I, I want you to try to, to, to imagine this. Use your imagination uh, for a minute. When she first knew that she was pregnant, I would have wanted uh, to just be a fly on the wall so that I could listen to their conversation. And Sarah goes to, to Abraham and she says, Ab, I think I'm with a child. And, and, and Abraham grabs her and, and says, Sarah, Sarah, oh Sarah, can it be? Can it be that you're pregnant? And as the days passed, as the weeks passed, and she experienced the quickening within a womb. And Abraham would take his, his old hand and, and place it upon the abdomen of his wife and would feel the baby kicking. Can you just imagine? And they were counting the days and the weeks until the promise would finally be realized. And then the morning came and Isaac was born. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I know, I know, I know that that night Abraham went out of the tent and he looked up in the sky and he started to count the stars. He says, because God has kept his promise. And Abram, who had hoped against hope and, and believed against uh, all possibilities, had the son that God had promised. What an incredible story. What have you been praying for? What have you been praying for? Now, this story is so sweet. It sounds so good. But then when you come to Genesis 22, it takes a twist. And you would find that the thing they were praying for, for all this long, praying and waiting, praying and waiting, praying and waiting, and no answer. And finally, God comes back to Abram again. In chapter 22, God called Abram just as he called him out of the hour of Chaldeans, years before he called him again. Now, there's a, there's a period of time after Isaac is born, God went quiet. There was no communication between the two. And Abraham, this time, when he heard God's voice, he couldn't wait. Remember, the last time God, he fulfilled his promise. And now, when God says, Abraham, Abraham, what did God say? He rushed and said, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? 
What do you want me to do? Abraham, I want you to take your son. This is the reason why God called. I want you to take your son and I want you to go to a place where I'll show you to Mount Moriah. And there I want you to take your son and I want you to kill him. The son we've been praying for. I want you to sacrifice him to me on the altar. Is that what God said? No. That is not what God says. I misquoted verse 2. Read verse 2. Read verse 2 and you see that I, I just misquoted intentionally. That's not what God said to Abraham. I can assure you that if God had come to Abraham and said here, Here's the test. Take your son. I want you to take your son to Mom Maria and I want you to kill him there. Abraham would have said, Yes, sir. And he would have gone straight to Ishmael's room and he would have taken Ishmael, the substitute son, the forced human, manipulated fulfillment of the divine promise. And he would have killed Ishmael, not Isaac. Now, when you read scripture, you have to pray for enlightenment because it's right there, but you can miss it. But God was too specific in the times of the test. Listen again to verse 2. Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love. What is his name? Isaac. Isaac. Isaac Abraham. I want your son, your real son, your only son, the one that you have invested your heart in, the one that you love. Not the one you manipulated the divine promise. Abraham, you know whom I'm talking about. And if that's not clear yet, let me name the child I'm talking about Isaac. Like a sword in his soul are where the words of God and Abraham in his confusion and pain is, is saying to himself inside, inside, not Isaac. You can't possibly mean Isaac, not the child that we prayed for, that we longed for, that we waited for all these years. You can't be serious. This can be the voice of God. Verse 3, so Abram rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And, 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 and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Uh, uh, wait a minute. It's too good to be true. Don't you think that? 
You know, you need to read the scripture and apply yourself right there. Be a human being. Look at the scripture again. I want to suggest that Abraham was in pain and confused for just the thoughts of being asked to kill and sacrifice his son. Abraham went to bed. He was mad with every passing moment of that night. And sleep was utterly impossible. I can only imagine he tossed and turned on his bed. How can this be? Is this the word? Is this voice coming from God? Can this be you, O oh God? What is this? Is this the, the temporary suspension of the ethical? How could you, O oh God, I know Abraham, I know, I know, I know. I know Abraham lived before Moses. Why? Because Moses delivered the law from Sinai. But he lived after God had delivered the law in creation and had written the law prohibiting murder on the hearts of every human being. And Abraham already, already, already knew as well as Moses will know later that it was against the law of God to murder a human being. And, and of course, another pagan nations may have been uh, self-sacrifice or, 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 or child sacrifice, but nothing, but nothing was more repugnant to Israel than the slaughter of children, particularly for religious reasons. Can this be God asking me to kill my son? And so, Abraham is beside himself. Sleep becomes impossible. And so he gets out of his bed. And now we know, we know from a careful study of the life of Abraham that Abraham was a wealthy man. And that Abraham, in his old age, had a whole host of servants on his stuff. Now you need to ask yourself a question as you're reading this scripture. Why is this man cutting wood with all the servants and he's old? Why is he doing that? Abraham could snap his fingers and servants will appear to do his bidding. In his old age and in his great wealth, rich people don't do nothing. They manage with their eyes and they make instructions. Who, who, who has money makes the, makes the rules. And so if he snaps his fingers or wave his hand, his servants already know what, he, what, what, what he's trying to say. Why would this wealthy man have to cut firewood for fires? Abraham didn't have to go cut 
go out into the shed and get the saddle from off the wall and tuck and all that for the animals and then saddle up his own donkey. He, 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 he didn't have to do this. But, and yet we read that he rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split wood for the burnt offering. He didn't have to do that. You know how people say, oh, look at how faithful Abraham is. Oh, Abraham is a hero. Uh, he went out there. I mean, he just couldn't wait to do the will of God. He, Abraham can't wait. You know, when we do that, we make Abraham looks like he's not a human being. Who wants to take their child and kill them? You, do you read that scripture and you find it easy to say, oh, because he trusted God. Oh, because... He is a human being just like you. I don't believe that. And what I believe is this. He was in pain. He was in pain. I like a quote that I got from Martin Luther. Martin Luther once said that, and I quote, the only cure the only cure he knew, humanly speaking, apart from prayer and meditation of the onslaught of a debilitating depression was to busy your hands with manual labor. And so the reason why he took the axe and started to chop the wood, he is thinking, God, is this you? Are you being real, God, to me? Is this the correct voice I'm hearing? That insight is as old as humanity itself. That when you cannot figure something else, apply yourself to manual labor. Go through it. Think through it before you say a word. I believe Abraham was praying while he's chopping the wood. He's playing the axe. He's hitting that wood and splitting the wood because he is saying, Lord, how can this be? He had to do something. He had to get this, uh, his mindset of it. He went and he took the saddle. I told you, you could have simply told one of his servants to do it. But he went, he took the saddle, he saddled the donkey. And then he went and he picked up the axe and he took the wood. What do you think was going through his mind? Am I cutting firewood to sacrifice my child? I had a piano teacher when I lived in New York City. I never paid him a dime. That's the time I came from Africa. And I was on vacation because I had to make a decision to live in the United States. I had no reason to be here. And I say that before God. I was already running my business. Things were just going fine. 
And the only reason I came over here was my mother-in-law was sick at that time. And I came. And Linda's attending her, to her mother. And then Linda, Linda overstayed. And when Linda overstayed, I came with a plan that I was going because my status was still good. And then I decided I was going to make a business visa application to live in the United States and start a business. And all I was trying to do was to get Linda and Tino, my son, in trouble of overstaying. If they were to come back home, they were maybe never able to come back to the United States because they had overstayed. What made Linda overstay was not the sickness of her mother. It was because Princess was born with some breathing issues. And so the pediatric doctor wrote a letter and said he would want to monitor Princess for six months. And so I came back and I used that story, went to the immigration and told them, here's my bank statement. I have no reason to be here. Get a lawyer. This is the story. And so I ran into this piano teacher at a recreational center in New York City. Right there, I didn't have to pay him nothing. This old man was from Panama, a very wonderful old man. He was in his 80s, sensitive person. His daughter was a nurse and her husband a preacher who was on missionary trip to Guatemala. And my piano teacher was so proud of his daughter and his family. And I remember his daughter and her husband had their first child, this beautiful child, and how the grandmother was so excited about this little baby. And this piano teacher, this old man, was so sweet to me. And I said, I've never played a piano, and this piano was for free. He said, if you come here every single day, I'll teach you. And I remember when uh, his daughter and her husband had a first child, this beautiful child. And then the baby was three or maybe two. I forget what year. While the nurse, it's a mission trip. While the nurse was attending some folks in the mission sta station, the mission station, inadvertently, uh, she left her medical bag open. And the little daughter went in and opened her medical bag and took some medicine that she, she, she thought was candy, and she ate it. And, and, and after they, they received a message from the maid that, that, that the little girl wasn't breathing anymore, she was already dead at that point. And when that word came back to my piano teacher, he was absolutely devastated by it. And when he told me, we, he wept, and I wept. 
And I remember we were sitting next to each other by the piano, and I said, Mr. Johnson, how are you dealing with this? What do you do? And he said, Stuart, the more I think about it, the more time I spend at the piano, and he said, because of all my feelings and my pain and all my emotion rises up out of my soul, goes down through my arms, out through my fingers, into the keys of the piano. That's how I deal with it. I have never forgotten that. If I live to be 100, I'll remember this story like yesterday. How often I've thought about that. Sitting down at the piano when I was down and, and letting the feeling go out my arms and out my fingers. Well, you and I, we know that Abraham, when he grew up, there were no pianos. He couldn't play a piano at night in his house. There were no pianos. But we know Abraham had an ex. He had an ex. I told you he was tossing and turning and he's wondering, is this voice coming from God? And so Abram didn't play the piano. He played the axe. He went out and he picked up the axe. And he, as he was cutting the wood and, and contemplating why he was cutting the wood, he was preparing firewood. Ladies and gentlemen, firewood for what? To, the, to be a funeral pyre for the body of his son. And every emotion was intensified with each swing of that axe. And then he takes the hood, two of his servants and his son, and started on the journey. Then we read on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. God didn't ask him to just go there and say, now look, I want you to do it, and I want you to do it quickly. No. You remember Jesus in the upper room in the night he was betrayed when he announced to the disciples that Judas was going to betray him. Right? And Jesus says, what you have to do, Judas, do it what? Do it quickly. But that wasn't the curse. I want you to think that Abram, he had Three days of walk, thinking on how he was going to sacrifice his son. You call it sacrifice. I call it killing. He was going to kill his own son. Why? Because God said so. Now, you Christians have tendencies to read scripture and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a good relation with God. And so why would he not? Why would you not? Why would he not? Think again. This is called a test. 
the scripture said God was going to do what? To test him. Now, if Abraham knew the, knew the answers to the test, then it wasn't a test. Do you believe that? So when you read scripture, apply yourself as a human being. This was not an easy task. Think again. Do you, do you really think he would walk for three days and in all this story, Sarah is nowhere. She's not even informed. It's just a story between Abraham and who? And God. Imagine if Sarah was told about this. Just imagine. Now, there are people here in this church who love pets. Any pets, pet lover? Show your hands. How many of you have pets here? I have a question for you. When should you put your pet to sleep? I mean, when do you accept that your pet uh, should be put to sleep in terms of death? Because when a pet is going through uh, sometimes experiencing chronic pain that cannot be controlled with medication or, and even a vet cannot help to determine if your pet is in pain, what do you do? When your pet has frequent vomiting and diarrhea that is causing dehydration or significant weight loss, what do you do? Okay, if the vet says they're going to put your pet to sleep, uh, should you stay with your pet when your vet is putting your pet to sleep? What do you think? Because your pet has spent their life to being present with you. And you can show your love by ensuring your presence during the process of putting your pet to sleep. It's not easy with animals. And you actually believe it was easy for Abraham to sacrifice his son. Pets are not sons, pets are not daughters, pets are not human beings, but look how difficult it is to authorize to put your pet to sleep. An animal that is already in, in misery, uh, who's going to die anyway because of the relationship and memories with that animal, somebody must do that for you. As for me, I will not stand to see my pet being put to sleep. But imagine Abraham taking his son to his death. But God asked Abraham to take his son, his only son, the son whom he loved Isaac and personally journey with him for three days. Just think about on with the donkey. I 
and the boy will go yonder and will worship and return to you. Oh, again, how do you read that? How the people love to read that. See the faith of Abraham. He said, we are going to go worship and we'll return to you. Now I have a question for you. What did you have thought of? How should he have addressed the situation to his servants and his son was present with him? Was he supposed to tell the truth? Me and Isaac are going up the mountain and I'm going to sacrifice Isaac and you two stay here with the donkey. Was he going to say that? Was he going to say that? He couldn't say it. And so what did he say? He said, the Lord will provide. But anyway, let's go. And now because Isaac has been too quiet, Isaac is raised in a Christian family. And so he knows how to sacrifice. He lived with his father. And so he understands now we got the firewood and now we got the, the kindling and now the journey, Father. Oh, Father, we're here. It looks like we missed one important ingredient. Where is the lamb? Isaac had to ask. Father, he said, and Abraham said, here I am, my son. And Isaac said, behold, the fire, the wood are here. But I don't get it. Where is the lamp for the burnt offering? And Abram did not even attempt to disguise his intentions by requesting his servants to carry a little lamb. The story told us Abram is a rich man. He is rich in land and is rich in livestock. He could have picked a little goat, a little lamb, just to do what? To cover up his intentions. But he didn't do that. Isaac knew his father was a thoroughful, was thorough in his planning. There is no way his father will forget get the most important thing. And at this point, Isaac realized it's about time to get up the mountain and do the offering. And so he spoke out, Father, you cut the firewood, Father. We have made this long journey. We're going up and make a sacrifice, but don't we have to have a lamb for a sacrifice? You forgot the most important thing, oh, Father. And Abraham, and Abraham, what is Abraham thinking? And when he's listening to those words and seeing the look in his son's eyes, is he going to say, Isaac, I didn't bring the lamb, Isaac, because you are it. Christians, read your Bible. You see these things in the Bible right there. And that was the truth. That was the truth that Abram has been carrying for three days that his mother Sarah didn't know. There's no way you read this story and you don't cry. There's, there's no way. And he's carrying this for three days. Now Isaac is talking and the father said, son, oh, the Lord will provide. I believe God had to, those were not Abram's words. 
It was God speaking. How would you answer your son when you knew at this point that he, Isaac, is the sacrifice? How would you? Painful. Painful. And so Abram said, God will provide himself the lamp for the burnt offering, my son. And I want you to take the coma out there. God will provide. And God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. He tells his son to calm him down. But Abram's heart, in Abram's heart, my son, you are the lamb for the burnt offering. The problem, I can't tell you that. I can't. My son, God is going to provide himself the burnt offering. So the two of them walked together. And there they came to the place which God had told him. And Abram built the altar and arranged the woods, delaying to the last possible second giving away. Isaac is helping him, I can imagine. Isaac helping him build the altar. Imagine what Isaac is doing. Isaac is still looking around for this lamp. Since God, since the father said, God will provide my son. And Isaac is wondering, he's looking around, father, I don't see it. But the father, he keeps on building the altar, one piece of wood after another, after another. And now the pile the altar is ready and Isaac Isaac is looking and I can see Isaac handing his father uh, a piece of the wood to put on the altar on the altar once he puts the last piece of wood then, uh, then, then, then Abram says then Abram says the altar is ready then Abram says come here my son, Isaac. Can you imagine? And then he picks up his son and he puts him on the altar and he takes the cords and the ropes and he begins to, to bind him to the altar. Did you see that? Here's my question. How stupid is Isaac? The truth is dawning on him, Isaac, he's looking at his father. His eyes, are, his eyes are saying, Father, how could you do this? Because I did ask you, where is the lamb for the band offering? My father, you said God will provide. My father, I've been looking around. I didn't see nothing, my father. And now, father, you tie me, your hands and legs to the altar, as tight as they always do. And then Abraham, at this point, Abraham, uh, he realizes, uh, he looks at his son's eyes, and he's saying, how could you do this? And Abram, he can't look at his son anymore. And then Abram stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Isaac is looking up from him. He sees his father. He picks up the knife. He looks up and sees his father raise his arm, stretching it above his chest. 
Isaac is looking, he's seeing the knife, he realizes that his father is going to plunge that knife into his heart. Just as Abraham is ready to bring the knife into the chest of his son, we read that the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And Abraham stops right in the middle as if he was saying, Oh, angel, where have you been? I've been carrying this load for days. Oh, God, where have you been? I have been with you for all this time. And some of you are saying today, God, where have you been. But I want, I want to tell you, God is going to say stop to your troubles. God is going to say stop to your pain. God is going to say stop to what you've been carrying through for all this long. And Abram says, here I am when the angel of God called. The angel said, do not stretch out your hand against the Lord. Don't do nothing to him. For now, I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then Abram raised his eyes and looked and behold, Behind him, a ram, caught by its horns in the thicket. Now imagine, I can imagine Abram, he's, he's, he begin, he's, he's loosening the cords. He tied his son on the altar. And now he removed the ropes from his son, whom he had tied to the altar for sacrifice. And Abram went and took the ram and offered it up as a sacrifice unto the Lord. What a story of faith and obedience. A song comes into my memory. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. At the impulse of thy love. And so Abram called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Now I was telling you a story because there's a story behind the story. Mount Moriah. Where is it today? According to current archaeology, Mount Moriah was a place in the south part of Palestine that later was changed and its name was called Jerusalem or Mount Zion. The historic place where Abram offered, I need you to hear this, the historic place where Abram offered Isaac is now considered to be the site of the doom of the rock in the old city of Jerusalem. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, here's the story I've been setting 
setting up all these minutes, 2,000 years later, on this same mountain, God took his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, Jesus, and he took him to that same mountain and he fastened him to a vertical cross that you call the cross, the vertical sacrifice, the, a vertical altar of sacrifice. But ladies and gentlemen, this time, ladies and gentlemen, nobody shouted stop. No angel shouted stop and God brought the knife into the heart of his only begotten son fulfilling in blood, in time, in space, the promise that was dramatized and symbolized by the test of Abraham, child of promise. What Abraham did was a foreshadow of what was to come. God said, Abraham, you don't have to kill your son. I'll kill my son. I'll sacrifice my son. Abraham, I will provide the sacrifice. Not to you. No. Our God will provide himself the sacrifice. I'll provide the lamb. So that 2,000 years later, a prophet came out of the desert in Palestine and called the nation to be baptized. Take a bath. Because he said the kingdom of God is coming. And while he was involved in this process of preparing people for the breakthrough of the kingdom of God. He saw a man approaching him in the distance and he stopped what he was doing and he shouted, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb without blemish whom God has provided his son. The Lamb without blemish whom God has provided his son. His only son, the one whom he loved, Jesus. God was in pain to let his son be the sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. As dramatized by Abraham, that's the pain of a parent. God did not stop his plan of salvation just for you and I to be redeemed. Before I sit down today, would you choose Jesus today? The perfect lamb of God. Oh, lamb of God. Sweet lamb of God. I love the holy lamb of God. Oh, wash me in his precious blood. Oh, my Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. God's desire is for us to remove anything that can be a destruction. And God wants obedience from us. 
when we sacrifice our best, when we don't hold back anything from him, that is what puts a smile on God's face. Will you choose Jesus today? Jesus is looking today for those who say, nothing between my soul and my Savior, not of this world delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There is nothing between. Nothing between my Savior and my soul. So that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the list of his favor. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. The spirit and the bride says come. Let anyone who hears say come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. My Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Be blessed.